medical experts saying that kids are not super spreaders of COVID and should return to the classroom come the fall. And while that may be welcome news to parents, how exactly does the education system, how do educators feel about this? Charles Pascal is with the University of Toronto and the former Deputy Minister of Education and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Charles, good afternoon. Thanks for coming on the show. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right. The doctors say yes. Is it time for kids, do you think, to return to the classroom come September? Look, I'm a big fan of sick kids. Uh, All Canadians should be very proud of it. But I find this report odd and confusing, and I just don't get it. They put the cart before the horse, and there's all sorts of things about uh, the claims they're making that are unsubstantiated when you look more closely at the research, uh, the research that they reference, but more importantly, uh, the research that's out of it. So this is a, a quick and dirty uh, report, uh, and the genesis of it I don't understand. But look, you got to deal, uh, Jeff, first with the public health data. Uh, that should determine when it's safe to open schools. Uh, and then there's all sorts of things that have to happen uh, before schools are open to prepare both students and educators regarding the uh, mental health issues uh, that uh, obviously have uh, arisen and have been exacer- exacerbated. Uh, the other thing I find astonishing is to hear uh, Sick Kids CEO give as one of the major reasons uh, to uh, to get kids back to school is that there's a lot of kids who suffer from uh, uh, the environment of abusive homes. So they go to school. Are they not going to go back to these homes after school? So I, I, I just I just don't get it. It is a very, very strange uh, and confusing report. Okay, lots to unpack there. Let's start with, in your estimation, what is the biggest concern when it comes to uh, reopening uh, the schools? Well, the, the very notion uh, that kids are not transmitters, uh, the research regarding this is very mixed. Uh, so the, the notion that they are not transmitters, uh, that is not an absolute. It's nowhere near an absolute. And there's research that suggests it's, it remains an open question. And so the notion of, uh, of kids going back um, uh, to school and some of them becoming carriers uh, back to home uh, where adults uh, uh, might be uh, highly uh, vulnerable. So the, the real risk is the health and safety risk. Uh, and the notion that uh, we have to we have to ensure, I mean, this is a call to open the schools no matter what happens in the next few months. So, you know, and the report itself has several disclaimers. One, it goes on in the middle of all the, the advice they're offering and the recommendations, it goes on to offer disclaimers. This is not intended to be a guide uh, to opening schools or implementation of these recommendations. So it has a disclaimer. Uh, And then basically it says, well, maybe they'll adjust things uh, as we find out more about the public health issues over the next three months. So I just don't understand the timing of it. And I I just don't understand uh, why public health should determine the number one uh, uh, variable for opening up schools. And um, again, uh, we have to follow what the epidemiologists say, um, for your listeners who, uh, who are on social media, they may want to track down Dr. Zoe Hyde, H-Y-D-E, who has just posted an hour ago, 18 points, uh, very well researched by the scientists about why this report uh, should never have been made public. 
All right, we well, just mentioned a second ago, Charles, about making adjustments, and we've all been doing that, of course, since the pandemic hit, most notably with social and physical distancing and face masks. Would you be more comfortable with kids returning to school if there was proper distancing between desks, maybe even a face mask, because obviously the classrooms indoors were mandatory? Uh, does that make sense, or is that just impossible, particularly when we're talking about elementary schools and kids that are you know, hard to contain or control? No, I think, Jeff, I think, look, when when uh, uh, the public health data and experts, public health experts, that is, say that, you know, basically the, the curve is flattened enough, let's open schools. Yes, there, there needs to be all the basics. The social distancing, which means class sizes uh, need to be made uh, smaller. Uh, the notion of hand washing and the PPE, uh, that all has to be a given. And uh, But the other important thing is, a month or two before schools open, uh, teachers need to uh, uh, be supported in terms of their own mental health and well-being issues. It's been extremely stressful for them. They also need to be trained where necessary uh, by psychologists and social workers and others about how to deal with increasing numbers of kids whose uh, mental health and well-being has been exacerbated by the pandemic. And so teachers need to understand what to look out for and we need those professional supports in schools in case there are serious issues that arise. So uh, that's absolutely correct regarding the nature of what to do when, when the data suggests it's okay to open schools uh, from, a, from a public health perspective. Joined on the line by Charles Pascal from the University of Toronto, the former Deputy Minister of Education, discussing yesterday's report from Sick Kids Hospital that kids should return to the classroom in the fall. We've been discussing kind of the medical component of this, Charles. Let's uh, flip over, if we could, to the other part of the equation, which is the educational component. In your estimation, what, what is the biggest thing kids have been deprived of uh, during the pandemic, during this time out of the classroom? Well, naturally, the, uh, the interaction uh, among and between peers in terms of solving uh, problems uh, based on the curriculum, depending on the age and the subject, et cetera, uh, being there with uh, great teachers. I mean, during uh, this time, the teachers, under very difficult circumstances uh, with local leadership uh, being very helpful, have done a superb job of trying to deal with remote and distance learning. And um, so going forward, I think, uh, I think we also need to imagine that maybe going forward for a while, it could be months, it may be a year, there might be more online uh, distance learning required. And to do that well really requires a rethink about how to do those things well from the point of view of students who suffer from the digital divide, not just have and have not equipment and internet, uh, but also the ability to handle the kind of uh, work that's required uh, in a different mode along with teachers, and I will say at the post-secondary level, uh, my peer professors uh, who need to learn how to do uh, those kinds of things well. It's not just taking your lessons and putting it through the black box of technology. So I would say those kinds of things, along with the mental health and well-being issues, uh, those are the things that have to be part of it. And regarding the medical side, look, the medical model, this top-down notion, uh, I, I just, I, I don't, I'm not sure that it's sick kids this is a great institution, but I'm not sure what they've offered is good medicine, uh, you know, let, let alone, uh, uh, you know, a good ed education. So I, I don't understand the report. I don't understand its genesis, and I don't understand its timing. 
All right. Uh, you mentioned the online component, and uh, they say every day of missed education is a day that a child will never get back. And while parents and educators, Charles, have undoubtedly done their best during this time, particularly with e-learning and online classes, is there any doubt that kids' education, kids in this province, their education has suffered during this pandemic? Look, uh, I, you know, the, the, the quote uh, that you mentioned regarding every day, et cetera, uh, I, that, I, I just I, I, don't, I don't believe that has to be the case going forward. So, Jeff, imagine uh, very briefly uh, that I'm a fifth-grade teacher of a particular subject. And when schools open, I'm going to get kids uh, who during the pandemic uh, were in grade four in that subject. The first thing I'm going to do as, a, as an effective uh, educator is I'm going to find out what are the things uh, that these kids are going to absolutely need to learn uh, regarding being successful in my fifth grade version of the same subject. And I'm going to find out what they already know early on, right at the beginning. And if I have to do a remedial loop and go back and uh, teach those things, that's the kind of pedagogy that basically is going to uh, smooth out those transitions. So I am not a gloom and doomer regarding, um, you know, a huge loss to uh, the educational advantage and accomplishments of, uh, of kids at all levels of, of our preschool to uh, university and colleges. Uh, those things can be worked out uh, with effective uh, pedagogical innovation. Do you think this requires a bit of a paradigm shift on behalf of uh, those of a certain generation? I mean, kids are pretty adaptable, and I think we all forget that. We forget what it's like being a kid, and that just like we've all had to have a shift when it comes to our thinking at work and work from home and working virtually, that that, can, that shift can also occur, Charles, when it comes to education. Uh, you know, Jeff, uh, uh, bingo. Um a uh, star question, and I think you've already answered your question. Uh, those of us who enable learning, whether it's, you know, a professor at the University of Toronto uh, that has to figure out how to do some things differently, uh, educators throughout the uh, elementary secondary panel, uh, we all need to figure out how to do some things very, very differently. The old assumptions about how we adapt to the individual differences of, of students, uh, they, some of those have to be just thrown out and we do have to reimagine, we do have to adjust, and we need to, uh, to be far more flexible and innovative. And I know at the University of Toronto, where we're talking about online learning in the fall, there's a very large percentage of my peers who are very uh, worried uh, about what they know and what they don't know about how to do that well. That's why we're providing uh, support uh, and capacity building uh, for the educators uh, who have to adapt, and that's going to take one or two, three years to become excellent at how to deal with the, uh, uh, a new normal, which, which we have to imagine uh, is very different uh, from pre-pandemic. All right. Charles Pascal, Charles, appreciate the conversation and the time. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much, Jeff. Here goes Charles Pascal with the University of Toronto and the former Deputy Minister of Education.